This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 38th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today is our special guest. We have a longtime sports industry TV broadcaster and author, Keith Hirschland. Keith, I'm going to give a little more introduction of you in a minute. Um, I'm honored today to co-host Sports and Stuff with the Rainier Avenue Radio Sports Director, Rick Dupree. Rick is the host of the great 101 with Dupe show at Rainier Avenue Radio. Rick, Rick uh, was a longtime Seattle radio host, and he now works education. So it's fun, Rick, for the second time to be able to co-host sports and stuff with you. Yeah, well, so. I guess I did okay the first time. You invited me back, so thanks. Well, Good to be uh, here. I, I guess <laughs> I, maybe I hit 250. What the heck uh, with you. Um, today is my engineer. We have Daniel Billis. Daniel's been at Rainier Avenue Radio for a while. We have Rick Show on our Rainier Avenue Radio Sports Network, 101 with Dupe. We also have a show hosted by Granville Anderson, Renault Pepe. Uh, Laurent Pepe, Pep we call by his yep. nickname, uh, the Lidline Sports, uh, Mazita Marari is the host of the Seattle Sports Weekly, Mark Bryant has a Seattle Sports fitness-based show, mm-hmm. Pat McCarthy now hosts a show on the Metro Sports League, want to throw out a couple plugs for our uh, Rainier Avenue Radio Sports co-host. Um, Keith, I'm going to give a little more of an introduction of you now. Uh, Keith Herschland grew up in a media family in Reno, Nevada. Keith's parents founded a local TV affiliate Network Station, Reno, Nevada. Keith has been in the TV industry, I think, for about four decades now, working in front behind the camera. Per- Keith, I can't get over it. You produce but every sport imaginable throughout your career. Uh, Keith has worked at ESPN. He's one of the early guys at ESPN2, or people, and was one of the first 40 people hired at the Golf Channel back in about 1994. Got a pioneer here, here today. Uh, Keith has had a special focus on golf beginning with the early 90s. Uh, Keith's 2013 book, which I finished this week, Cover Me Boys, I'm Coming In, Tales of the Tube from a Broadcasting Brat, great title of the book, by the way, is a memoir, which is a tribute to Keith's late parents. It also goes into Keith's career, uh, special focus on his work at ESPN2 and the Golf Channel. Uh, Keith's also the author of two mystery books, and uh, Keith is known to work with some of the biggest names in sports. Keith, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff today on Rainier Avenue Radio. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it very much. And Rick, uh, it's great to be with you guys. Likewise, likewise. Good to get you from three thousand miles away. You're you're in Connecticut today, right? I'm not. I'm actually in Colorado. I'm home, and uh, we just moved to Colorado Springs. Okay. My wife and I. So uh, we're in Olympic City, USA. Little little update there. Well, Keith, I'm going to go <laughs> over to Rick in a minute, but I want to ask the first question today. As I mentioned in the, in the introduction, you grew up in a family that owned a TV station around Nevada, and I want you to share with us the influence that your late parents had on you in general and your career in the sports TV industry. I learned that your late dad, Lee Hirschland, is a member of the Nevada Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Tell us what your, how your parents influenced you in your uh, longtime broadcasting career. Uh, they were an amazing influence. Um, you know, I think everybody feels that way pretty much about their parents. But my mom and dad uh, were pioneers. They were risk takers. They were doers. Um, my dad uh, got out of the Navy. We lived in Honolulu, Hawaii. I was born there with my older brother, but only lived there until I was two because the radio station that my dad worked at when he got out of the Navy was owned by a gentleman named Don Reynolds, who also had television stations all around the country. And uh, he asked my dad if he'd be interested in going to Reno to be the general manager of uh, his affiliate station in Reno, Nevada. And at the time, Reno only had two TV stations. That, well, they had three at a PBS station, but they had an NBC affiliate and a CBS affiliate. And when ABC came along, those two stations shared ABC's programming until my mom and dad kind of uh, took us from 
what was a pretty comfortable life in Reno uh, growing up to uh, kind of sold everything that we had, and he got a group of folks together as investors, and they uh, they cobbled together enough money and enough uh, enthusiasm and enough people to start the third TV station in Reno, and I watched them do that as a you know as a pre high school kid and um, was just you know impressed as heck with uh, with everything that they were doing and everything that they tried to do and commitment that they brought to the community through the TV station. So, uh, you know, I had a, a great influences growing up. Both my mom and dad worked at the station. And, uh, you know, we went from, my dad had a Jaguar XKE and my mom drove an Lincoln Continental to driving a Edsel station wagon and, uh, with all of us in the, in the car. And so it was a fun time growing up, but it was exciting. And, uh, and they made a go of it, made it work. And it's a thriving station still today. Got the broadcasting bug at a young age. Rick, uh, go ahead. I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, I'm wondering, Keith, uh, you talk about kind of living that kind of pre-teen or early teen years. How did that influence your entrepreneurial spirit? And as you got into uh, this field and, and some of the pioneering things you've done with ESPN and the Golf Channel? Yeah, it, I'm sure it had, you know, one of those subconscious things. Um, Rick, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a professional golfer. Actually, I first wanted to be a professional baseball player. Growing up in Reno, everybody kind of did every sport. So you did spring and winter sports, and um, I played golf and played baseball. And actually went to Lewis and Clark College in Portland on a golf scholarship. And um, decided, you know, once I got there, I realized that uh, being a pretty good player in northern Nevada didn't translate to being a pretty good player nationally. But uh, I love sports. My parents were sports fans. That's the other thing they instilled in all of us. I have two brothers. Um, and so I knew I wanted to be in sports. So I went back to Reno, finished up school at the University of Nevada, and started working on my dad's station. And I think just, you know, throughout the whole my whole career, I, I really took a, took a page out of my dad and mom's book, I think, as I look back on it, and took chances. You know, I mean, I, I moved across the country after working at a TV station in Connecticut without a job to try and work for Don Meyer in Los Angeles. And I had a comfortable job at ESPN and could have stayed there for my entire career, but the Golf Channel came along in 1994 and against everybody else's advice to, to stay away from it as, and as far as possible uh, because a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week network Divided only to golf was never going to work. I took the job anyway. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that taking chances was, was part of what my mom and dad kind of passed on. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with noted sports broadcasting veteran Keith Hirschland with uh, Rick Dupree of Rainier Avenue Radio as my co-host today. So, Keith, I finished, as I mentioned in your introduction, your 2013 book, Cover Me, Boys, this week, and I really enjoyed it. And I know that part of the reasoning for writing your memoirs is, is, is as a tribute to your late parents. In reading the book, though, Keith, I, there's so much excitement and adrenaline working in the TV sports broadcasting industry. There's also ego. There's heartbreak. There's, uh, there's dislocation. There's definitely some tough moments that come up in that field. Um, did you write the book in part? Keith, to give like a young person who's interested in breaking in the sports broadcasting industry a reality check about it in some ways? I, I think that's a great point, um, Paul, and that was one of the things that I really did think about when I was writing the book. Um, 
you know, it was a cathartic experience. I had never, never written a book before, never thought about writing a book before. Um, but I knew I had some stories to tell. And um, when my parents passed away, my wife and I were going through their stuff and going through some boxes and found all these uh, pieces of memorabilia. My dad's Nevada Broadcasting Hall of Fame Award, and letters from dignitaries and presidents and just all the stuff that they had done. And my wife looked at me and she said, you know, don't let this be your kids when you're gone looking in a box and saying, I had no idea dad won an Emmy and I had no idea dad helped start ESPN2 and the Golf Channel and I had no idea that dad knew Tiger Woods. And, um, you know, she said, start, you have a million stories. Start writing them down in a journal to leave for, for the kids so that when they're, you know, when, when you're gone, they have something that they can look back on and instead of just memories in a box and, so when I started writing the book, um, it was just stories about what happened along the way. And as I got to writing and as I got into the meat of it, like you said, I thought, you know what, maybe I can pass something on. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a nugget of wisdom or, a, you know, a, something about it's not, you know, you're not going to go from college to posting the Today Show right away. Right, it's hard right. work and you're going to have problems and you're going to have setbacks and people are going to say no, but you know, find your way and, and do all the right things and have integrity. And at some point you have, might have a successful career in this business. Well, I thought it was a very candid portrayal of your industry. Yeah. Well, th- you know, it's, it, it was, it, it was a, it was a labor of love and, and I hope that it was, you know, like I said, looking back on it, that, that people who read it can get something from it. Yeah, and Keith, what a tribute, like you said, to your parents and, and also for your kids and where we'd be without uh, our wives that kind of point us in the right direction from time to time. <laughs> with, with that said, um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier you had aspirations of being a golf uh, pro, and, and although I, I never had aspirations uh, that lofty knowing my game, I still love the game. Uh, what, what was it? You said early on uh, people said, you're crazy. There's no way a, a uh, station devoted to golf only. 24 hours a day, we'll make it. And now <laughs> we, we, we look some 20-plus years later and, right. and look at the success of the Golf Channel. Um, and and I, think, I think you look at the TV as a whole, and, and certainly we have uh, the specialization. But what do you think behind golf? What are some of the keys that, that really led to the success of the Golf Channel? Oh, that's a great question, too. Um, you know, it, it, I think bottom line was, that the people that started Golf Channel, and it was an Alabama businessman named Joe Gibbs with help from Mark Palmer, and, of course, some folks at the PGA Tour and a lot of uh, me with getting a lot of talented uh, folks. But I think they really tapped into um, what people love about golf. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle game. It's a game of a lifetime. You can play it your entire lives, and, and it's one of those uh, – sports where it's constantly challenging you. So you're always trying to get better. So the folks that started the golf channel knew we had to have tournaments and that was kind of my, my area of expertise, but they also knew that they had to have instruction. They had to have travel. They had to have, you know, clothing and the latest, the latest trends and all that good stuff in equipment. And they kind of built the network around those pillars and they had Monday and Tuesday was for instruction and, and Wednesday was, kind of a travel plus uh, a look ahead to the week's tournaments. And then Thursday through Saturday was, was tournament coverage. So, um, you know, I think they tapped into what every golfer likes about the game and they figured out, 
uh, something that might interest uh, at least at least them on some level. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I'm I become a golf fan. Uh, working in TV out of college was at the ABC affiliate here, and around that time, Tiger Woods came on the scene. And and for me, being an African American man, uh, to see someone that looked like me. Which before that, you know, there were, I mean, and, and Tiger's done a great job of, of recognizing people like, you know, Charlie Sifford and Lee Elder and what have you. But to see somebody that looked like me on, on there uh, as an athlete, a football, basketball player, golf never entered my mind. <laughs> but, but can you talk about the impact that, that Tiger Woods has had on the game? Uh, uh, we don't have enough time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, obviously, and that's an understatement. Uh, you know, as as uh, as big a statement as that is, it's an understatement. I, I will say though that Tiger Woods made the Golf Channel. Um, you know, we we launched in 1995. As you said, I was hired in 1994. Tiger was still an amateur. He turned pro in 1996 and took the world by storm. I think the golf panel would have happened even when I was at ESPN. Uh, Steve Bornstein and a bunch of people were talking about uh, having ESPN 4, F-O-R-E, and devoting it to golf. But um, the folks who started the golf channel beat them to it. And it would have happened at some point, but because of Tiger's meteoric rise and Tiger's success, and the interest in Tiger Woods, the Golf Channel became a success in 1996 and 1997. Um, you know, people wanted to watch, and um, they still want to watch. It's amazing. I mean, you know, more than 20 years later, the man, um, you know, as, as a lot of people are wont to say, he doesn't move the needle, he is the needle. Yeah. And that was true for us in 1996. We wanted, you know, when he came and turned pro, Every show, every person, every question that was asked of us along the on the road was was pretty much about Tiger Woods. And um, you know, like I said, we, the Golf Channel would have succeeded at some point in time, but it uh, succeeded when it did because of Tiger Woods. Great, great insights, Keith. I'm going to rewind here for a second. I can't wait to get another Golf Network question or two in here. But let me rewind to an earlier part of your career, Keith. And you worked for the late Don Olmeyer, a famous U.S. TV sports executive figure. And you worked at Olmeyer Communications for, I believe, a few years. We were covering golf. And when you hear about big names in the sports team industry, you hear about Rune Arledge, you hear about... Dick Ebersole, I mean, I, I was doing some research on this earlier. Dick Ebersole was once picked as a, the Sporting News' most powerful man in sports. I knew that you knew Dick Ebersole a little bit. But tell us, and I know that Don Olmeyer passed la, um, last year, Keith. Tell us a little bit about Don Olmeyer. And when sports TV historians look back, um, what, what is Olmeyer's legacy? Well, he was, he was larger than life. He was an amazing man uh, to work for. Um, an incredibly innovative and um, he had so many ideas, you know, he started network battle of the stars. He, he had a million ideas and he was constantly trying to, you know, put them broadcast them or put them in a place where people could see them. And one of them was the skins game, which he was pretty much responsible for with, with some partners at IMG and they came up with this idea for the most famous golfers in the world playing on Thanksgiving weekend for, you know, more money than anybody had ever played for, for 18 holes. And, um, it was a wild success and I was lucky enough to work on a, on a handful of them with Don, but, um, he was just a, 
he was just a constant force of energy. I mean, he'd walk through the building um, and just, you know, stick his head into people's offices and say, what are you working on? And tell me about it. And, well, what if you did this? And, and how is this project going? And, I mean, he was just always involved. He always cared about the crew. Um, and I think that I don't think he gets enough credit as people look back to see um, just all the things he was involved in and everything that he did, the Munich Olympics, the Indianapolis 500, Monday night football. I mean, the, the man uh, was television sports in a lot of people's minds. And, you know, I, am, I constantly thank my lucky stars that I was able to be in his orbit for a half a dozen or so years. And then after I left um, Don's company, Don sold his company to ESPN, and that's how I got to Bristol. Um, but then when I joined the Golf Channel, he kept in touch, and, and we keep in touch every once in a while. I'm still uh, best friends with with a gentleman that worked with me at All My Communications who was really kind of Don's uh, protege. And, um, I, he was amazing. He was an amazing man, um, like I said, larger than life and just a ton of fun to work for and work with. What a great history of a famous uh, TV executive you just shared, Keith, of, of, of uh, Don Olmeyer's career. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with a noted sports broadcasting veteran, Keith Her- Hirschlin, with uh, Rick Dupreides, my co-host. Go ahead, Rick. Keith, now, it just, it, it, that history that you just talked about, I mean, just so incredible. As you look at sports programming, I'm curious from your perspective, where do you see sports programming going moving forward because i mean you look at for example i'll watch an nba game and, and espn does you know the classics and you look at some of the games from the 80s and the and the graphics look so much different uh and <laughs> e- even from video games you know they look so much more real but wh- where do you see television and coverage of sports in particular going as we move forward over the next 10 15 20 years well i, I wish i had a crystal ball so I can answer <laughs> yeah, that yeah, question really. with some clarity um, but I can, the only thing I can say is that the advancements that have happened in the last 10 years, like you said, graphics, high definition, um, just the, 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 the way that sports are broadcast now, and it's getting, what I think is going to happen is it's going to get more and more of a personal sports experience through television. Um, you know, I think you're going to, you said, like, you watch the NBA. Well, I can see NBA TV evolving into you watch LeBron's every move from, mm-hmm. from the, the minute he arrives at the, at the arena, you get, there's a camera that is focused on LeBron the entire time during the game. And you can pay for that privilege to watch LeBron only in golf. And I can speak to that because it's what I know best. I think that's where it's moving, where you'll be able at some point in the very near future to choose which group or which players or, or you know, which holes you want to watch. And it's going to, you know, in the beginning, I think it's going to cost a little bit of money, but I'm not sure that'll last very long because the demand will be so great. Um, I think that everything today is moving toward um, kind of customer service and a more personal experience. I think sports TV is going to be that way. ESPN does it now, as you guys know. When there's a national championship game, there's five channels, and one of them is in the truck, and another one is a bunch of ex-players sitting around watching and talking about the game, and another one is uh, you know a foreign, a foreign language broadcast. So I think that you're going to be able to 
you know, click a button on your TV and, and have a laundry list of things. What do I want to watch in sports today? Keith, Paul Schneiderman again, a sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue radio. Um, Keith, you were, have an interesting background. You, you were at ESPN two in the very early stages of ESPN two, which was created, uh, many years after its bigger brother, I guess, ESPN was created. And you also, as we've discussed, were early on and when the first 40 people at the Golf Network. Mention one or two things, Keith, that really stand out to you that you did that played a role in the development of those two networks. Um, you know, the ESPN2 experience was cool because um, when I first got there, I got there shortly after it, um, it, it launched, I missed the Keith Olbermann "Welcome to the End of Our Careers" uh, <laughs> broadcast, but was there shortly after that, and I got a chance when I was there to work um, with on-air talent that were really uh, kind of starting out in their network television careers, including Kenny Mayne and Stu Scott, Susie Culver. I was watching Monday Night Football last night, and I saw Susie Culver, and she was one of the early hosts of this ESPN Sports Night program. And I thought, my gosh, Susie's been at ESPN 25 years now. It's amazing. And Kenny Mayne is the same way. Kenny Mayne almost got drummed out the network. He was so bad when he first started. He was so nervous. And we were taping these things called the Sports Smash, which were like five-minute sports podcasts, just doing scores and things like that. And, and Kenny was so nervous he couldn't get through one. And luckily they were taped. And finally, I just said to him, I said, how did you get on the air in Seattle? Because he was on the air in Seattle before <laughs> right. he came to ESPN. And I said, how did you ever make it to a broadcast? And he said, well, it was not ESPN. It was small. It was local TV. And I said, Kenny, think of this as the same thing. I said, imagine one person behind that camera lens and talk to that person. So he got, he actually turned out to be a pretty good broadcaster, and, and that was fun. But you know, at Golf Channel, I think it was in the tournament coverage part because we didn't have a lot of money and we were tasked with, you know, broadcasting four days of golf tournaments, 30, 35 golf tournaments a year. And we had to come up with creative and innovative ways to move cameras around and work with talent that maybe hadn't done a lot of television before. So, you know, I'm not sure I had, a, you know, I'd like to think I had some influence. And some impact on guys like Jerry Foltz and Kurt Byram, who I hired, that are still um, doing a great job on Golf Channel today. But, you know, it's such a team effort. As you guys know, any show, any broadcast, anytime you go on the air with anything, there are uh, dozens, if not hundreds of people that are responsible for this. And a lot of them don't get the credit, but every single one of them is critical in a good broadcast. Keith, we only have about four minutes left, but I want to get a quick question in, and I'll throw it over to Paul. But you, you mentioned uh, one of my favorite broadcasters, and he kind of grew up. We saw him grow up on the air, and that's Stuart Scott. And and can you, in, in maybe a minute, just kind of summarize what a special guy he was? And I think for a lot of us that, that saw him and his 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 fight with cancer, his battle with cancer, um, just the way that he carried himself and and how he you know live for his daughters and just just but but just again for for me again seeing someone that looked like me on the air and get that opportunity uh what he meant i think for a lot of young broadcasters um you know can't necessarily be measured uh in in, in a lot of ways he's quite a guy yeah that's true and Stu, i was so so fortunate to be able to work with Stu for 
for those months um, that I was there. And I think the best thing that ever happened to ESPN was that Keith Olbermann was so hard to work with and <laughs> couldn't couldn't uh, maintain a relationship with any of the producers or anybody at ESPN too. So he went back over to the mothership ESPN. And that gave Stuart Scott the opportunity to be the every night full-time host of, of that program, Sports Night. And, um, you know, it, it was just a joy every day to work with him. Um, I, you know, I've, I've worked with very few broadcasters who had less of an ego, more integrity, and cared not only about sports and, and his job, but the people with whom he worked. And, um, you know, it was Stuart's mission almost every day to make sure that uh, that everybody knew how important they were, um, it came through in his work. He was he was he was an amazing guy and an amazing broadcaster. Great feedback, Keith. It's fun to hear your feedback about two le- two legends, Stuart Scott and Don Olmeyer. We only have less than two minutes left, and I got two more questions. My first question here, uh, my last question, and it, pine in here in a minute is what does the future hold for Keith Hirschland? But I do have a question about that Casey Martin episode. He was a young man that had a mm-hmm. birth defect and he went to the U S Supreme court. Where they ruled on the Americans with disabilities act and a right to, to play golf with a card. I know my, my lawyer background is coming out here a little bit here, but what, 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 what was the reaction of, of Casey's claim with a lot of the golf network people were most favorable of his claim or most against it real quickly. What was the reaction to your network about Casey Martin's uh, disability rights claim? I would say 99% was completely positive for Casey and his efforts to try and play professional golf. Um, and I think the, and the only the 1% that might have been a little bit negative were the old school guys that felt like walking, you know, was an integral part of the game. And, and it was, you know, it was part, it was part of professional golf, especially on the, on the PGA tour level that, um, that you had to walk, but, Overall, um, that sentiment really took a back seat. Um, I think to a person at the network, inside the building or outside the building when we were doing tournaments, as we were all rooting for Casey and all behind him and, and um, loved watching him. And, uh, you know, we won a golf, he won the first golf tournament, he came back. Um, and we were lucky enough, I was lucky enough to be in the truck for that. And, um, it was amazing. It was uh, it was a great story, and he's still a great guy today up there in Eugene. I, I see him every once in a while, and you know we kind of laugh about the old days, but he's a great guy. Great feedback of a uh, major guy in golf history. Well, we have less than thirty seconds left, Keith. What does the future hold for Keith Hirschlin? Well, I'm still writing books. I'm writing my fourth one right now, another fiction book. I think my nonfiction days are over. I pretty much hope that I told every story I had to tell. <laughs> um, yeah. But like I said, I'm, I'm here in Colorado Springs with the family. My wife uh, just took a job with the United States Olympic Committee, so I'm here supporting her. And I'll do a handful of TV events for friends who they'll call up, and if they need some help, I'll jump on a plane and help them out with an event. But um, other than that, I'm, I'm writing books and enjoying life in Colorado Springs. Well, Keith, on behalf of my co-host here, Rick Dupree as well, and our producer, Daniel Bellis, thank you so much for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. It was my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. You too.